Our text this morning comes from uh, Esther chapter 4, verse 14. It's well known, but it's worth paying attention to. For if you, Esther, keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews, but from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to a royal dignity for just such a time as this. Pray with me. God, this is our time. Teach us. Amen. It says in our Presbyterian, Placentia Presbyterian Church core value statement that we're using with the pastor nominating committee. Through Jesus Christ, we experience the hand of God in our lives, which motivates us to be of service and live generously with our local communities and the world. And we're going to look at this. We are a hands-on people engaging in creative, inspired, and timely ministries while building relationships with those we serve. This statement is both aspirational and inspirational. It states something when we are at our best. When we are at our best, we are a hands-on people engaging in creative, inspired, and timely ministries while building relationships with those we serve. It's the history of this church. It's what you all said when we did this a year ago and we had focus groups and we had storytelling and we had surveys. What you said was, this is us when we're really being the church. This is our past, our present, and we hope our future. It's a description of a core value that if we don't live into it, we'll stop being Placentia Presbyterian Church. That's how core values work. If you stop doing them in order to do something else, then you cease to be who you are. What I'd like to consider this morning with you is the timeliness of God's ways in us, in this place. I preached this text a year ago um, last summer in August. And, um, and so I looked at it and thought, well, there's some stuff in there that, that I want to raise again. And there's some ways I'd like to think about it differently, or at least think about it from another um, viewpoint. Who knows? Mordecai says to Esther, who knows? So who does know? Not me. Not you. Who knows? C.S. Lewis in his Chronicles of Narnia um, in the second book, the great lion Aslan, the great Christ figure in the book, 
has um, tried to get the children to follow him and they go another way. They choose not to follow his call. And they, they go off in a different direction. And after a calamitous day, in the middle of the night, the youngest one, Lucy, who seems to be um, one who knows Aslan the best, she's called awake to meet with him, this great lion. And he says to her, it's, today's been a waste. I called to you, and you didn't come. Things would have been different. She goes, you mean everything would have worked out all right in the end, but how, how could I have done it when the others weren't going to get up and follow you? What would have happened, child, he says? No one has ever told that. But will happen, what will happen, you have only way, one way to find out. Go wake up the others and follow me. It's a thin little veil of what Lewis is trying to teach us. Jesus calls to us and says, come follow me. And when we don't, we wonder, well, how would it have turned out if we had followed? And Aslan goes, listen, no one's ever told what would have happened, but you can find out now what will happen. You've got to get up and follow me. Esther is given a scenario that will either lead to regret or she can behave in a way that's consistent with who she really is, God's child. She can be silent, or she can speak up. She can act, or she can just fade to the background. Either way, whatever decision she makes, God says to her through Mordecai, God will bring relief to his people with or without you. God will do God's mission with or without us. She's stuck between a rock and a hard place. I love that phrase. I've never, I've hardly ever been able to quite figure it out. I, I just don't know if I've been between a rock and a hard place. I've been between two rocks. Don't know what the hard place is, but we understand what it means, right? It means that, I've, that none of our choices are good. A rock and a hard place. None of them are good. The outcomes just seem like they're not going to work. It's like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings when he talks to to uh, Gandalf and says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish it had never happened. Esther, if not you, relief will rise from another place. 
be part of what God is doing in this time, or you will add to the regret of your life. I, uh, I meet with my spiritual director once a month, as, as often as I can. Uh, sometimes we miss opportunities. But I met with him Thursday, but now we meet on the phone. We used to meet in person, but COVID kind of stopped all that, and he found how nice it was not to drive into an office. And uh, so we talk on the phone. He doesn't like video conferencing. Frankly, I don't like it either, because I spend way too much time looking at how I appear. I mean, come on, everybody. Zoom is, Zoom is mostly about us, not about the other. And we spend most of our time going, gosh, my hair looks like that. And things like that, I, I do that. I know you don't, but, um, but it's uh, a problem. So we talk on the phone. And he was quoting to me a psychiatrist uh, named Erwin uh, Yalom. Yalom. He says, and Yalom says this, focusing on past regrets only to sink into sadness is not helpful. However, if we look to the future, we experience the possibility of either amassing more regret or living relatively free of it. He encourages his aging patients to use their regrets and fear of death to motivate them to do the things they have always wanted to do. Imagine one to five years ahead and think of the regrets that will have piled up during that period. Take a moment. I want you to think about your life, the things you've regretted in the past, but now what I want you to think about is in the next five years, how much regret will you amass in your life? What areas will it be? Some of it's our prayer of confession. Where will you withhold your generosity and your love, and your care, and your openness. God will get by without you. But like with Esther, what will we regret if we don't change the way we live? And then Yalom says this, how can you live now without building new regrets? What do you have to do to change your life? We could ask that question of us collectively as a church. How must we live in the coming months and years so that we don't pile up regret and missed opportunity. It's what is put before Esther 
and us. When I preached this a year ago, one of the literary mentors that I've appreciated over the years had died, Frederick Beekner. And he quotes Psalm 118 and then writes this. Psalm 118 goes like this. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. And Beekner writes this. In the entire history of the universe, let alone in your own history, there has never been another day just like today. And there will never be another just like it again. Today is the point to which all your yesterdays have been leading since the hour of your birth. All good, all bad, all circumstances, fortunate or unfortunate, has landed you here in this moment. A precious, profound moment. It is the point, Beekner says, from which all your tomorrows will proceed until the hour of your death. If you were aware of how precious today is, you could hardly live through it. I love that point. If you really knew how incredible this moment was, how absolutely beautiful and remarkable and amazing, you could hardly stand to live in the moment. It would be so bright and so good. You're, you'd be blinded and humbled to your knees. And unless you are aware of it, he goes on, how precious it is, you can hardly said to be living at all. And unless you get a glimpse of this, this incredible moment that you exist in, that God has given you, unless you get a glimpse of how remarkable it is, it's hard to even think that if you don't, you might not be living at all. This moment is a time to move into the future without regret. God will not let God's mission fall. The question is, will we be part of it or not? Your leadership, all of you, have said we want a future as a congregation. And you will need to do hard things to make it happen, to participate in what God's doing. You'll have to let go of your expectations of comfort that the church is here to comfort you. And we've got to have a pastor that can hold our hands. And we've got to have a church that just feels good and warm like it always did when I came. You're going to have to let go of that expectation. Well, I believe when you let go of it, you'll actually get it. But you've got to not make it a condition. God will not let God's mission fail 
but will we be a part of it? Part of it is to say that we need to be a hands-on people engaging in creative, inspired, and timely ministries once again while building relationships with those God has called us to serve. We need leadership that will challenge us, not make us feel good. We need leadership that not only challenges us, but will go ahead of us to where we need to be to be following Jesus. We could be paralyzed by the moment. We could be paralyzed by the cost of things. We could be paralyzed by our debt. We could be paralyzed by that the congregation is smaller. We could be paralyzed because there's not enough money. We could be paralyzed because there's not enough volunteers. We could be paralyzed for every reason under the sun. But Mordecai comes to Esther and comes to us and says, what will you do? Perhaps you were created for a time such as this. Perhaps you were given royal entrance for this moment. Think about it. You are called a royal priesthood. That's how God sees you. If you could only see in this moment how God sees it, it's Beekner's point, right? You could hardly stand it. But if you don't get a glimpse of it, you can hardly be said to be living. My director has a book on aging. I, and I suggest that most of us in this room fit the audience he's writing to. Um, it's called Aging with Wisdom and Grace. And I would just recommend it. Aging with Wisdom and Grace by Wilkie. W-I-L-K-I-E. Ow. A-U. Like gold. And he's been gold in my life. And he, uh, he and his wife, Noreen, uh, have written this book and it's just full of resources and good questions and good guidance. But he writes this. Jesuit Jim Harbaugh, no, Jim Harbaugh the coach is not a Jesuit. It's a guy that happens to have the same name. Um, explains why the spiritual exercises of Ignatius and the 12-step spirituality encourages us to look at our past regrets. During the first week of the exercises, Ignatius urges you to consider your past not in a spirit of worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, but in light of changes for service and the healing of relationships. According to Harbaugh, a clear view of the past is essential if we're going to be building, um, if, we're, if we're going to avoid building new regrets. What do you have to do? If you're going to behave differently now, we can't regret the clarity that leads to healed relationships. So one of the things we've done as a church is try to get clear. 
What's happened to us in the last five years, ten years? And we can point fingers and we can blame. We can do all kinds of stuff. It's totally unhelpful, friends. Completely. It's a distraction. It is actually the devil's work. Because what we're supposed to do is be able to get a clear view so we can minimize future regret. How will we be a positive, creative, relationship-building presence going forward? That's the question. How will we be the people we say we are and have been? It will only happen if we find ways to do it again, not resurrecting past things, but past values. We're not going to to win people by having a potluck. We're not going to win people by having a square dance. We're not going to win people by saying, boy, we just got to get a big youth group program and spend a lot of money on a youth director. That's not how it's going to happen. That's how it did happen. But it's a different time and place. How will you build relationships? Almost every week, I am just surprised in our church that people find us. And there's one or two visitors from time to time pretty regularly in the congregation. They wander in. They see us at a bus stop out front wherever it is, over there. They see us online. So how are we going to build relationships with people who for the most part are a one-off? We're going to have to exercise hospitality in that moment. Right away. You've got to come to church prepared to be hospitable. You've got to come to Sunday in the anticipation that there's going to be somebody here you don't know and you're going to say, I want to get to know them and you're going to ask them for some time. You'll take them to coffee. You'll take them to lunch after church. You'll make it your point to be hospitable. You'll build relationships You'll be hospitable by both accepting and extending. You'll be creative as a people. Well, not what new partnerships could be fashioned? We've got all these things that we used to do really well. And some of them are not as available as they used to be. Going to Mexico is not as available as it used to. It'll be a whole bunch of things. So, okay, those things are, are, are coming to an end. We financially support those things and all that, great ministries, God will take care of them. So what is it now? What is it now? Where are your hearts being tugged to create something new? We have, this year, had four young women come to church. Two from India two from Northern California, two were graduate students at Cal State Fullerton, 
two were freshmen. They found our church through the internet. The two freshmen found it through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. The two Indian folks from one of the young men that has been coming here. I haven't seen them back. We need to come Sundays prepared to do something new. It depends totally on your behavior. So in the next one to five years, how will you keep from building regret? There's only one way to find out. Get up and encourage each other to follow the way of Jesus, to follow the ways of Jesus, to be a people, not for yourselves, but for those you have yet to meet. The little Latin phrase, non nobis solum, not for ourselves alone, would apply. Regrets are of no use going forward except to teach us what we don't want to keep doing. Came across a song, I'll end with this, that um, I, I know Chris, I know others spend a lot of time looking for music for Sundays. And I do the same. I've, I've done it all my life. I've, I search for songs that I, I like that I hope will be helpful to us in worship. And it's a song that I'm not so sure we will sing. It's more of a performance. But, but it, it came from a, a bunch of young adults in an area called uh, Elevation Worship. And the song starts like this. It says, everything happens for a reason, but you don't know what you don't know. And you'll never find, have peace if you don't let go of tomorrow. Because it, it's not even faith till your f- plan falls apart but you still choose to follow. If it doesn't make sense right now, it will when it's over. There will be joy in the morning. If it's not good then, then God's not done, and God's not done with it yet. There will be joy in the morning. Giving in to your feelings is like drowning in the shallows. You've got to keep believing even in the middle of the unknown. Because grace will be there when you come to the end of your rope and you let go. It may feel like you're going down now, but the story isn't over. There will be joy in the morning. Pray with me. God, this can apply 